0: All right. Well, thank you, Casey. Let's thank the band tonight. Well, welcome to Renovate. Uh, We're glad that you're here. If you are new to Renovate, I want to especially welcome you. Um, I want you to know that what we're all about here is to see lives change. That's why we picked the name Renovate. I say this every week. But we realize that many of us come into this room every Wednesday night with brokenness and with pain And we're carrying a lot of things, a lot of baggage from the past. And I want you to know that this is a place where you're welcome. You don't have to have it all together to be in this room. But we want you to find a place of community. And we want you to find a place where you can worship the living God, Jesus Christ. And so we're all about restoration and transformation and change in your life. So thank you for being here. And if you would like to get plugged into what we do here, if you would like to get plugged into a small group, we would love to help you do that. And we do have an information table outside that you can get involved with that in so we are starting a new sermon series this week called between black and white the gray areas of the christian life this is a scary sermon series because we're talking about the gray areas and what what does that even mean what are gray areas in the christian life what are gray areas where where do you go to find the answers to gray areas we're talking about things like social media and music and movies, and you can't just go to the Bible and flip through and find passages that talk about what movies you can watch and what movies you can't watch. You can't find passages that say uh, R rated movies are out of the question, you got to watch G movies or you got to watch Pixar movies. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us specifically how we are to watch movies. And in music, Can you listen to secular music or do you have to listen to just passion worship CDs and Chris Tomlin? How do we navigate that as believers? I know Casey loves that. He's a huge Chris Tomlin fan. But we have to figure out how we navigate gray areas. And we're not even talking about dating. We're going to save that for later on. But how do you navigate dating? That is a modern concept. You're not going to find Bible verses that talk specifically about dating in your Bible. And so these are gray areas. And because they're gray areas, we have a lot of different opinions in the Christian world about how to navigate these gray areas. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to look at social media. We're going to look at music and movies and alcohol and dating. And the goal of this series is to help you navigate the gray areas of the Christian life with wisdom and in a way that brings glory to God. And so the main theme, the verse for this whole series is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Many of you know this verse. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We want to help you live to the glory of God in all of these different areas. But sadly, Christians are terrible at living in the gray areas. We like to swing from one pendulum to the other when it comes to these particular nuanced areas in the Christian life. How do we do that? Some people um, go to one side of the pendulum and they say that, that alcohol is from the devil. It's out of question. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be involved with it. Stay away. It's evil. And they build walls and keep people out who drink and look down on people who do. That's one side of the spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum, alcohol, you can do whatever you want. You can go wherever you want. You can consume as much as you want. It's this swing on the pendulum with music. Some people say the only kind of music you can listen to is Christian music. Well, what is Christian music? How do you define what Christian is when it comes to music? Is it the content or is it the, the uh, excellence that the music is done? How do you define that? We have pendulum swings in the Christian life. Living in the gray area takes great skill. And so tonight we're going to talk about social media. And for each week, we have a video testimony from one of you that we've already filmed. And you're going to talk about these five individuals are going to talk about how they've tried to navigate these very difficult areas. And so tonight, one of my good friends, Shay Aldridge, is going to share how he navigates social media. So take a look. Yeah, so with with social media, there's a lot of different ways we can go. And what I have here is a magnifying glass. Uh, Most of us have used a magnifying glass, especially when we were kids. We would go out and look at insects and things. And what a magnifying glass does is it takes an object and makes it appear larger than it really is. Some of y'all are laughing because you used it to burn the insects that you were looking at. And if you're still doing that, you shouldn't be in here. You should be in prison. But... The the purpose of a magnifying glass is not to burn things, but to make them appear larger than they really are. And so tonight I want to look at three ways that we navigate the gray area of social media with the magnifying glass as an illustration. And sadly, whoops, and there it goes. Don't need it again. That's good. Sadly, what many of us do with social media is we use it to magnify our own lives, In what we do with Facebook and Twitter and all of the other social media outlets is we do everything we can to make our lives appear bigger than they really are. And we go to great lengths to make what people see on the social media outlets about us as something much bigger than we really are. And there is a lot of pressure in doing that. In fact, I talked to one of the gals that's in this room, and she told me I could mention this story, but she spent three days trying to decide what her Facebook profile was going to be. She spent three days. She, she was obsessing over what that profile was going to be, be because it's so important, the image that you're projecting on social media. Over one billion people are on Facebook today. And we only have one identity. And and, uh, Mark Zuckerberg said that in today's world with Facebook, you don't have different identities in different places. Now you just have one. And what we try to do is we try to magnify our own lives to make them look much bigger than they really are. And we've seen that. I've seen that in my life even before the days of Facebook. It's inherent in us in our sinful nature to want to make ourselves look bigger. I can remember when I was 13 years old, there was a baseball tournament in Arlington, Texas. And I know I use baseball il- illustrations a lot, but that's what my life was growing up. And at this particular game, there was a group of gals who went to McLean Middle School, who we hung out with all the time, who never came to the baseball games, and they showed up to this game. And immediately, as a teenager, I'm thinking, i gotta, I got to turn it on tonight. This, this is a big night. This is, this is the four-for-five night with some home runs and some diving plays. Okay, because they're out there watching me. And so immediately my mind shifts into, i got to start magnifying my game tonight. But I was playing first base, and I didn't get a lot of action at first base. And so later in the game I thought, you know what, I'm going to get a little attention on myself. And so I'm going to call timeout. And what, what happens sometimes in baseball is one of the middle infielders or one of the infielders will call timeout and go give a pep talk to the pitcher. Just go out there, you know, all the attention is on you and the pitcher, and you're whispering something, and for some reason they hold their gloves up because they think somebody's trying to steal what they're saying, and so I'm, I'm going to go up there and get a little attention. I want to magnify my abilities as a baseball player, and so I was going to talk to the pitcher. He's going to strike out the side, and man, what did Tyler say to him? It must have been good, and so I'm 13. I still have baby fat. The girls don't even want to date me. I'm their best friend, and so it really didn't matter either way. But I start trotting out to the pitcher's mound, and about halfway there, as everyone's looking, because I call timeout, play stops, I trip over a little sprinkler head in the ground (laughs) and literally face first into the ground, frozen, and I look out to my fellow comrades in the field, and they're all turning the opposite direction. Some of them are on the ground laughing. (laughs) The whole stadium is laughing, including the girls, and so what do I do? I abort mission, I get up, run back to first base, and act like that never happened. And at that moment, I didn't want to magnify myself, I wanted to disappear. And so it's get through the inning and get back into the dugout. But the reason I tell you that is because it's inherent in us. There are often times where we want to magnify our lives because we think that if we look bigger than we really are, people will accept us, people will love us, people will affirm us and validate our existence. And I do it today as a 35-year-old pastor with Twitter. I'm looking at how many retweets I get. I'm looking at how many likes. And I'm looking at how many followers so-and-so has. And, and I'm doing this comparison game. Why am I doing it? Because I have this need to be accepted and validated. And if I don't find that in Jesus Christ, I'm going to start looking for it in others. And what social media does is it gives us this much greater platform to try to find those connections and find that validation. Forty years ago, you only had a limited amount of people that you could try to do that with. But now, we've got thousands of friends, some of you, hundreds and hundreds of friends, and we are obsessing over the image that we're projecting on social media. And it's draining, and it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of pressure, and it's not worth it. We're trying to find satisfaction outwardly instead of upwardly. The only place you're going to find satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. And yet what social media has done, which the purpose of it was to connect people, which is a good thing. And as we talk through these gray areas, all of these things are not, they're not inherently evil. It's what we do with them. And so I'm not saying that. We'll talk about this in a moment. But the problem is when we're trying to find our validation in what other people think about us. And so we go to great lengths to make sure our post looks perfectly and says the right thing. And then we're checking our phone numerous times a day to see who commented and to see who liked it and to see who shared it and 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 we're just obsessing over that or twitter is my thing and so i'm i'm looking to see if i've got some more friend requests and more likes and all of that and it can become overwhelming and pointless because newsflash you're never going to get your validation from other people because they're sinners too you're going to let them down and they're going to let you down they're going to they're going to criticize you no matter how hard you work at creating this image that you're trying to create. We've all become image managers through social media. Instead of being who we really are, we get the magnifying glass, we put it up, and we try to make our lives appear bigger than it really is. You know, the Apostle Paul would be terrible at social media. Here's some things that the Apostle Paul says, which don't work well with what we're talking about, this way of magnifying yourself. He says in uh, Romans 12:3. "...for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned." And then he says in 2 Corinthians 11:30, "...if I must boast or brag, I will brag of the things that show my weakness." And so can you imagine the Apostle Paul on Facebook or on Twitter posting, hey, I, I got shipwrecked again and I nearly died. I, I got flogged 20 times tonight instead of 15. I had three friends abandon me. You know, hashtag worth it all. I'm suffering. <laughs> you know, it, it, would, it, it, it doesn't go well with what we try to do through social media. We, we I, joke, I was joking around with somebody the other day, but we, when we go on vacations, all you see is the great things. The smiles and, and the laughter and the beaches and the, and the, the joy and the food. And um, Ari and I, my wife and I, went on our first week-long vacation since we got married after the honeymoon. I've been in school and then with the job, ministry. If you're in ministry, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard to get a vacation. We finally got one. And what I should have done was on the first night took a picture at 3 a.m. and posted it on Facebook because it was me yelling into a pillow and it was Emily, our youngest daughter, screaming in the other room and it was Ari trying to deal with me and Emily and Rachel was running around wondering what was going on. And I'm thinking, if this is the first night of our vacation in Galveston, this is a nightmare. This is, let's go back home tonight. It was miserable But if you go on Facebook tonight and look at our Facebook pictures from Galveston, you're going to look at those and go, what a wonderful family. (laughs) I've been on vacations and theirs looks perfect. They're eating seafood and they're at the beach and the, the Ferris wheels in the background and the kids are laughing. That first night I wanted to kill myself. It was miserable and I thought it was never going to end the whole week. And Casey's going to uh, Florida this week. Casey, you're going to know what I'm talking about, wherever you are, Casey. Casey's going on a vacation. We'll we'll talk when you get back, but he's got a bunch of kids, so (laughs) it'll be fun. But my point is, we go on Facebook and we look at other people's lives and we think, man, I've got to magnify my life more because I'm not feeling what they're feeling. I'm not experiencing what my friend that I went to high school with is experiencing where they are now. My job doesn't look like their job. My friends don't look like their friends. My life doesn't look like their life. I need to magnify my life. And at the root of that is pride and insecurity. And you're missing the point as a believer. And so that's the first option to navigate this this fuzzy gray world of social media. And I don't think that's the best option as a believer. The second option is... Some of you have experienced that. Um, some of you have experienced the, the pull of social media and you've realized that you, spending four hours a night on Facebook is not productive and you said, I've made a decision, I'm going to take the magnifying glass and put it in the drawer and never get it out again. Social media is gone. And so you've closed your Facebook profile, you've dropped out of Twitter, and, and you're off the reservation. You've, you've, you've checked out because it was too much for you and the pressure was too much for you. Um, You know, honestly, my wife told me that that I could share this, but um, early on in our marriage, I was gone a lot. With school, I was at the seminary. I was working three jobs at one point just to pay the bills. And so frequently on the weekends, I was doing valet parking somewhere in Fort Worth and I was away from home. And the outlet that, that my wife had was, was Facebook. And just seeing other friends' lives, and it didn't create good feelings in her. In fact, there was a study done by researchers in Germany that said one third of people that go on to Facebook leave discouraged. They took a sample size of about six to 800, I can't remember exactly, but one third of them felt worse after leaving Facebook than before they went on. And the number one reason was looking at people's vacation pictures. Seriously. And they thought, I'm missing it. My life doesn't look like that. And so I I know that as my wife battled through me being gone too much, looking at her friends' lives thinking, man, I'm sitting in this seminary housing, crammed, you know, with a kid sitting over here yelling and screaming with a diaper change. And, man, their lives look so much greater. And so for Ari, she had to step away from Facebook for a while. And so I think for some of you, social media has become an idol. And it's become the place, and and, an idol is simply this. An idol is where you find meaning, purpose, joy, and contentment, and satisfaction, So anything can become an idol. And many of you have found meaning, purpose, joy, and satisfaction in social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or any of those. And so for some of you, I'm saying tonight, you might need to pray about moving away from social media for a time, taking a break, taking a a social media Sabbath, But I think for the majority of you, there's a third option. And this is where I want to focus on for the remainder of our time. I think the third option is that instead of magnifying ourselves, instead of getting the magnifying glass and making our normal mundane lives appear much bigger, I think what we need to do is magnify Jesus Christ as Christians. I think we need to take what Jesus has done in our lives and let that come out with the platform that God's given us, which is social media. We have an amazing platform that people have never had in the history of civilization. The opportunity to connect with so many people around the world. I just got back from a mission trip this summer in Brazil, and I'm still dialoguing with the translators. One of them said, my birthday's today, and he wished me, he said, Happy birthday to my favorite pastor, a guy in Brazil. That would have never happened 30 years ago. And so the opportunity to connect and to be a part of God's kingdom across the world is, is better than ever. And so I think the third way is the best way, and that's not to magnify yourself or completely move out, but to use the platform that God's given you to make Jesus look great, not yourself. I love the passage, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 3, it's talking about John the Baptist. And just real briefly, I'm going I'm to set it up. But in John chapter 3, verse 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So Jesus started baptizing, and John the Baptist had been baptizing before Jesus came. And in fact, in verse 23, it says, John also was baptizing because, and he said he was baptizing in a Neon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose, listen to this, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. So all of John's disciples were leaving and going to Jesus. And some of his guys were saying, Hey man, look at what that guy's doing. Jesus, he's taken all your disciples. And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So, so, John the Baptist was rejoicing, and here's what he says in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so, John the Baptist, whom Jesus said was the greatest prophet of all the prophets, had an enormous following, and he was baptizing. And when Jesus came, all of his followers started going to Jesus. And he said, "I must. he must increase, but I must decrease. And I think that is an overarching principle that we need to take into social media. That it is not about us. And what magnifying does is it increases our importance and our worth. It's not about us. We must decrease so Jesus can increase in our lives. And what an amazing opportunity to make Jesus look great through social media. Through the medium of social media. And so how, how do you do that? I mean, there, there's numerous ways you can do that. Um, unfortunately, we have a movement in this world that is one of the most destructive, dangerous movements that I've ever seen in my life, and it's the Islamic State. How are they recruiting their soldiers? Somebody yell it out. Social media. That, if you read the papers... If you, if you read your apps, the number one way that they are getting people from all over the world, including America and England, is by using the tools of social media. And so if they can do that for such an atrocious cause, how much more should we be using our influence on social media to reach people for Jesus Christ? And so how do we do that? Four quick ways. I know that in your mind you might be thinking there's more than four. There's a lot more. But I want to focus on these four. Number one, a simple way. We need to always speak the truth. So whether we're uh, retweeting an article or whether we're we're, um, posting our own thoughts, whether we're quoting some famous person from the past, what we need to be doing is, is putting truth out there to the people that follow us. Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, speak the truth in love. And in verse 25, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then one of my favorite passages, Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And so, as Christians in social media, we need to help people think on things that are true and just and praiseworthy and noble my My dad went through a really cynical period that he's still he 's still in actually. we have a lot of conversations he 's just cynical, and one of the things that kept feeding that in him was a group of his friends that kept forwarding him emails of just conspiracy theories and you know uh, Obama's a muslim and he he's trying to destroy the world and and just every day he was getting bombarded with these negative messages that that were just filling his mind with things that were not praiseworthy and honorable and excellent and it began to affect the way that he lived his life and sadly some of the things that we put on our on our facebook and and retweet with our twitter are not promoting Positive thoughts and, and hopefulness and joy and and things that are excellent. And even when you post pictures, do you ever think about how those pictures are going to make other people feel? Or do you just think, i got to hurry up and as quickly as I can get these online because they're so awesome and I'm so awesome. Sometimes you actually do as a believer need to think about what are these pictures going to communicate to the person who's following me and is it something that's going to bring upliftingness and joy. And that leads to my second one. We need to be building up, not tearing down. Paul says in Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And so instead of like boosting your ego and showing all the great things that you've done, maybe honor what other people have done through social media. Maybe, maybe comment on other people's great experiences and show them that you're just thankful that God is working in their life and that they had the opportunity and just, just praising and building up on social media. This one's going to get all of us. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I confess I don't always do that. I don't always do that. You know, there's a group of guys I played baseball with that we kept in touch over the years. We played uh, with the Cardinals, and for six or seven years, we kept in touch through emails. And so we would email the group and just talk about things that we're struggling with or questions that we have theologically, let there be light. um, (laughs) Questions that we had theologically, and and we we were just kind of rubbing Iron sharpens iron, and we were going back and forth. And that thing turned into a blog, and we called it the e-fellowship, which is kind of a corny name. But some of those guys made it to the big leagues, and it became a a platform that that we had hundreds and hundreds of people following the blog, and we were just talking about real-life stuff and how we um, battled sin and how we struggled with sin and how we overcame that. And it became a blessing to a lot of people. And that leads to the third one. Share your story But make Jesus the hero. And so I always counsel people when you share your testimony. Don't share your testimony in a way that when people leave they think, Man, Tyler is is a great guy. He really had a tough life but he picked himself up by his bootstraps and made something of his life. Man, that's impressive. Tyler's impressive. Or, man, Tyler's life is jacked up. I don't know how he's going to make it. He's messed up. He's going through a lot of issues. On both sides, the, the, the person of focus is me in that testimony. But a good testimony shows transparency and vulnerability, but Jesus is always the hero. And so even with this ministry that we've built, this, this idea of renovate, it's God who takes the broken house and makes it new. It's not us. But too often we, we share our stories on, online and it makes us look like the, the hero. And so people are commenting, man, you're, you're awesome. Or man, I'm sorry you're struggling with that. And, and Jesus is nowhere in the equation. And so we need to make Jesus a part of our stories online as we share our lives. And then finally, the fourth one, always check your motives. Mark seven fifteen. there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Social media is not bad. But what it's done is it's given all of us this huge platform to, show, to, to open up our hearts and show people what's really on the inside. And so I'm pretty confident that I can go to y'all's Facebook profiles and your pictures and look at all of that and get an idea of what's really going on inside and what your motives are. Because ultimately it's impossible to hide. So as you're navigating this this gray area of social media, you need to think about what are your motives for posting this, for putting this picture on, for um, sharing this article or this story or this YouTube clip. What is the ultimate purpose? Is it to magnify yourself or is it to magnify Jesus Christ? And so I think all of us are in one of these three categories. Some of you have just checked out. And what I would say to you is, I want you to pray and see if maybe God is asking you to, to enter back into your circle of influence with a different mindset. Maybe not yet, but I would like you to consider that. And then for some of you, your whole social media platform has been image crafting and managing, and it's all about you. And you've got the magnifying glass and you are doing everything you can to make your life appear a lot bigger than it really is. And then I do think, because I do follow a lot of you and keep track of what you're doing, a lot of you are using your platform to make Jesus look great. You're using your platform to share the gospel. And what an amazing place that Facebook, this one avenue, can reach over a billion people. And we've, we've even seen with that ice bucket challenge how something can go viral and make a massive impact. Um, and some of you are doing an amazing job. And so, um, in closing, as a ministry, how do we apply, apply this as a ministry, as, as Renovate? I think one of the best ways we can apply this is we need to start sharing stories of how God is changing lives. I think too many of us have kept these stories bottled up. I met with the volunteers on Monday night, and we just started sharing stories, and it's like, man, that's amazing. Holy cow, I didn't know that that person you know, had gone through that. I'm, uh, you, you know, life change is happening, but we're not sharing with, our, with the people that we influence this, these stories. And so I think as a ministry, we need to use this platform to show the people in our worlds what God is doing through Renovate. And how God is taking broken lives and making them new. And so this is the choice you have to make. This is week one. And every week there's going to be these kind of choices that you're going to have to make. It's gray. I can't tell you this is what you do exactly. Because the Bible leaves room. And so I hope that this gives you some direction and I hope as we move through this series you see that the answer is not to remove yourself from culture and be afraid of the gray. The answer is to move into the gray but make Jesus look great in every single area of your life. So let's pray together. Father God, I do thank you that um, that even though you... Don't touch on every single detail of our lives in your scripture directly, indirectly. There are so many principles and so many truths that can speak into all of these gray areas. And Father, I pray as a ministry that we would not be a ministry that just rejects culture and rejects these things that are nuanced and messy and fuzzy and gray, but that we would enter into them with confidence that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, that we would do it all to the glory of God. And so I pray that you would help me and all of the speakers that we have during these next uh, four weeks show the way to live in the gray, but to do it in a way that is winsome and compelling and life-giving to people and that brings um, glory and praise to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.